Welcome to another edition of New Money. I'm Ryan Hirsch, and this evening we're focusing on estate planning. But before I go into anything, let me first apologize. Harry Joffe is a mad Liverpool supporter. He's convinced Gordon, who tells me he knows nothing about football, to wear a Liverpool shirt. So I apologize to all those supporters of any other clubs other than Liverpool. Uh, I won't say any more. Uh, Harry's already thinking they won the league, but as far as I'm concerned, they got a little cup. And most of the other teams don't even put their full teams in. So let Harry enjoy. Harry, enjoy your evening. Enjoy with your shirt, Gordon. You're not I don't, allowed to have a full team. I don't know what you mean. I'm shirt. collateral damage. You know, I don't know what. I don't, you'll, you, Gordon, will, uh, um, Harry will talk into anything. Um, to, be, to be a bit more serious, there was some fear that some of the Davis Tech committee recommendations would be reported on in the budget. The two main concerning relates to the rollover relief on the death of the Spurs first spouse dying, and the possibility of that the inability of trust to attribute income to beneficiaries rather than pay tax is the trust. And joining me, as I said, Harry Joffe, Head of Legal Services at Discovery Life, and Gordon Stewart, Managing Director of Cura. Guys, good Hello, evening Brian. to you and welcome. First time we've been in the studio together for two years. It's been a long yeah, time. Yeah, a long, long time. It'll be another five years before United yeah. win a trophy, we wear a United shirt. Okay. <laughs> Harry, I think we've had enough of you this evening. And <laughs> thank you for joining us. Um, okay. Ha um, Harry, have there any of those pr proposals now been discarded or are they still lurking somewhere in the shadows? Yeah, Brian, so I think just for the record, I mean, they weren't totally discarded in the sense that they came in in the 2018 budget. You know, that change in their state duty rate from a flat rate of 20% to a 20% up to 30 million and then a 25% on all assets above 30 million. That was a proposal in the Davis report. So they did cherry pick and take one of the proposals. And of course, donations tax. If you make a donation of above 30 million, you go straight to 25%. So that first proposal came in. The second proposal around the 4Q deduction that you spoke about with spouses, that was very fiercely resisted that they were going to drop that. So that's on the back burner. And of course, with trust, we don't know. I mean, Gordon will agree. Who knows when that could change? At the moment, there's been no reporting that it's going to change. There's no talk. But you know, you can't say never. So let's watch that space. But at this stage, it's gone quiet. Gordon. We follow world trends. Yeah. Uh, so we'll in world trends, can trusts attribute to the beneficiaries and actually is that a, a tool for saving tax? Brian, I think you need to, obviously tax laws are applicable to individual countries. So each one has its own particular set of rules that they apply. But no, normally with regards to other countries, and I'm thinking maybe of Australia or the UK, for example, and the US, uh, there isn't that ability to distribute. Well, you can distribute it down to, to the beneficiary and they in turn will then pay tax on it. But it's not as simple as how it is in South Africa. If I use, for example, the, the US where they talk about their kind of throwback tax, where if a distribution is made to a beneficiary, a US beneficiary, then they bring it all the way back to the year in which the trust produced that income deem it to belong to that particular beneficiary and then treat it as if he sh had should have declared it in that year and then there's penalties and interest that will run over that period of time mm. so it i think it depends on each particular country but south africa is a little bit easier than than other and brian countries. just remember i mean to add on that the large part of europe for example doesn't really recognize trusts they only yeah. now are starting to recognize trusts and then they've got their own specific targeted legislation. So you can't generalize. And I think just one step further than that is, remember, South African trusts are locked in South Africa. 
So you've got the South African Trust, it's registered here, it pays tax here, and typically the beneficiary is here. So you have that ability to distribute from, in essence, one South African tax resident to another. Whereas if you look at offshore trusts in the offshore financial centers, they don't pay tax. So therefore, it's only when that is distributed out to the beneficiary, that's when the tax is triggered, not in the offshore financial centre, but in the jurisdiction where the beneficiary is resident. Gordon, you've always mentioned that there's forming a trust. You know, today to form a trust, there's got to be substantial assets. You can't, yeah. you can't just put 100,000 into no, a trust. No. But there are a lot of people who have trusts with small amounts of money. Yeah. Is it, is it time to... Terminate those trusts? Yeah, Brian, you know what? At the end of the day, the last thing you want is for the costs of the trust to erode the yield that the investment is producing. That's counter mm -hmm. counterproductive. I mean, there are very good investment products, and I'm sure you and Harry can speak at greater length than I have, but if you've got a trust that's producing or that's got a fairly low in capital value, then maybe the trust is not the right vehicle because the trustees' fees plus the other costs are eroding the, the growth in it. Maybe bring it out and put it into a life wrapper. I, mean, I think, Brian, I've, I've got to jump in here. We can't talk about life wrappers and not have me talking. So, I mean, Gordon makes a valid point. You know, for some of the benefits of a trust, obviously not all. You know, for example, avoiding status taxes overseas and having the ability to distribute to a beneficiary. An offshore endowment wrapper can do the job just as much as a trust at a much cheaper level. And locally, what we call a living annuity wrapper can often do the job just as well as a trust. But of course, that's a very broad generalization because, you know, if you've got a minor kid you're looking after or it's a special trust or people with special needs, obviously you need a trust. But in the offshore world, Gordon is 100% right. You know, those costs are so expensive. And of course, as you know, the, the interest rates are so low that very often an offshore endowment wrapper makes much more sense and is much more cost effective. What I would look at it straight black and white is just what is the cost, what is the capital, what is the cost of the wrapper associated to that capital, and then do a direct comparison of that back to a trust. And then see which one of those is going to give you the lower cost, and then yeah. go that option. And why do you actually want the trust in the first place? You know, if it's just to avoid a CITES tax, the endowment wrapper does that. If it's just to pay to a beneficiary on death and avoid probate, the endowment wrapper does that. So and the question is why and what you're using it for. And maybe you can combine the two. Have the offshore life wrapper, but then tied in with a bottom draw trust. So that at least if the, let's say the husband and the wife pass away, and it would ultimately then pass back down to the children, that instead of coming to the children, it goes into that bottom draw trust. And the beauty of the bottom draw trust is, is that there's, while there are no assets in it, there's no annual fees. So you kind of, you can maybe find a blend, uh, you know, a blend yeah. of the and, best and Brian, of both. one more point. I mean, we've got to, once we're talking about products, I've got to jump in one more little point. You know, our offshore endowment wrapper, for example, and a lot of other companies allow a splitting. So you can have a beneficiary for ownership and a beneficiary for proceeds and multiple life assureds. So what a lot of people do is they make a spouse, a co-life assured and a co-owner. So there's no probate and there's no issue on the death of the first dying. And as Gordon said, it's only if both parents or both owners die together or within a short time of each other, do we need to pay to a trust? And then we use the bottom drawer trust, which is very cheap and very effective. So okay. we've got a whole package deal there. So let's talk about CITES. I mean, CITES really affects people not resident in the UK, France, or the USA, because I mean, their levels, their threshold levels are very high. Yeah. But, you know, I've had many opinions uh, going on now for three years about CITES. One, that the US authorities collect so little money from winding up estates. Uh, the onus on CITES, let's talk a bit about that, Harry. Brian, I must be honest. <coughs> Sorry, I find that changing. And I think Gordon will agree. Executives are starting to report it now. 
because remember CRS, so the banks are aware of it. Um, so you, know, you can't go on what happened three or four years ago where things are slipping through. CRS is being very, very strongly and strictly applied. And if you've got an executor who knows what he or she are doing, they will report it. And now the other thing we're starting to find as well... Report it to who? To the U.S. authorities, for example, if it's in the U.S. Or HMRC. If it's in the U.K. And Brian, we're finding it not so easy to change ownership of assets if yeah. it hasn't been reported. Yeah. And that's the new thing that's now coming. So you've got, I don't know, a property somewhere in, in Boston that you want to move ownership to the heirs. You know, CITES tax is going to be asked and the questions are going to be asked around it. So I wouldn't be too flippant about it anymore. And I, and I think just to come to the UK, and I'm no specialist on it, but my understanding is, is that when it comes to basically applying for the grant of probate, you have to put down right in the very beginning what the anticipated estate fees will be. Uh, and I think you've even got to pay those fees. So, and then you can start winding up the deceased estate. So it's not, it's not as simple as, as it used to be. Yeah. So you can move the assets, as you say, into wrappers or into trusts. Well, yeah. before death, obviously. So that's ideal. Once you've got in a wrapper, then it doesn't sit in that country. Okay, so let's talk about something that I also picked up in the budget. It seems to have been slipped in. I mean, we've spoken previously, Harry, about people having pensions here, being taxed here, yeah. going to uh, jurisdictions where there's no tax. They become non-resident for tax purposes in South Africa. They're paying no tax in the country of residence. Yeah. I'm thinking of Mauritius maybe one of them. Uh, unfortunately, Mauritius is no, definitely not a low tax jurisdiction anymore. I mean, what they've done to the taxes over since I've been there in the last six years, it went from 15%, then it went up a smidgen. And now between the 15% PAYE, the 10% solidarity levy and the 3% CSG, I'm paying 28% now. So it's, it's getting expensive. Brian, but anyway, tax Gordon. His so earnings Gordon, are so big. So Gordon, to tax when are you coming back? I see you went to tax A, but, <laughs> let's, but let's talk about some of these. Other. So you now yes. we're paying tax here. You now go to these one of these jurisdictions where there's no tax. They mentioned something yes, about evaluating and relooking at double tax. So Brian, let's just go back a step and position yeah. it. So you know you're a South African. You leave the country now and you do what we call a tax immigration because obviously you don't immigrate anymore. And let's say you go live in the UK. Now you've got your preserver fund here or your retirement annuity here, and you don't access it at all. You just leave it here, you go live in the UK, you become non-tax resident here, and you become tax resident in the UK. Now, three or four years later, you access your retirement annuity because you're allowed to in terms of the new laws, or you cash in your preserver. In terms of the DTA between us and the UK, because you're tax resident in the UK, then the income or the, the lump sum, if it's a pension fund, will be taxable in the country where you're resident, which will be the UK. It won't be in South Africa. I was a bit uh, generalistic there. If it's an RA, that's not in that DTA because the DTA refers to past employment. So we're talking pension provident or preserver here. That will be taxable in the UK and not in South Africa. Now the point is our authorities don't care if you're being taxed there or not. The point is we can't tax here. And that means you've got a tax deduction all those years going in. You've got tax-free growth in that wrapper. And now you retire and we can't tax the money at all here. And that's what they want to change. So last year, you'll remember, and we discussed this, there's a very drastic attempt to amend the legislation to have a deeming exit tax and then an interest on that deeming tax. And that just went nowhere. It was just impossible. So now they said in the budget, and it's a much more reasonable proposal, they're going to look at each individual DTA, and they're going to look to change those individual DTAs piece by piece. So people will, could, whereas they may have gone to jurisdictions without paying any tax, now th there could be Brian, a change Brian, I wouldn't panic. You know, South Africans love to panic. But, you know, to change a DTA, 
It takes a it long takes time. years. And I mean, let's be honest with what's going on in the world now. Countries in the Europe aren't looking to South Africa to change DTAs. You know, that's not going to happen overnight at all. There's much bigger issues. So you're probably looking at five years before they change most of okay, the DTAs. So we've got plenty of time to talk about. Gordon, Brian, you um, can immigrate. I mean, Gordon Tom has been on the show 13 years. Well, we're going to take a break. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly.